Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. I'll be talking to those who've just started teaching as well as those who've spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Today, I'm talking to Alastair Heath-Robinson. At a time when there is a fair bit of negative feeling surrounding teaching as a profession, Alastair is just the man to perk you up. He is possibly the most upbeat teacher I have ever met, and I always come away having spoken to him feeling positive. So after today's chat, I very much hope he has the same effect on you. I'm sure he will. Alastair, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I know it's a very busy time for you, so I'm grateful that you could spare me half an hour. Oh, Jeremy, for you, anytime, you're very, very welcome. <laughs> Actually, it's quite, it's quite funny you said that because you said about me being upbeat. I do remember a parent talk, turning around to a very good friend of mine saying, he can't possibly be that happy all the time. And I said, no, 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 he genuinely is. always goes out smiling. Maybe a little touch of the swan effect there, but no, bless you for saying that. It's really nice. That's probably the biggest compliment anyone can pay you, actually, I think, is to remain positive and keep seeing the good in everything you're doing. And I always feel, you know, obviously I've got the privilege of working with trainees, and I always say to them, being a teacher and having your QTS is probably the greatest privilege, and I wear it with such pride that I and I, I would never take that for granted at all. And I think having had a career working with young people has been an absolute honour and a privilege. So I've loved it. You know, from starting, you know, I came into it. I didn't come straight into teaching. I left my degree, went and worked for a big car company down in Brentwood, uh, spent my days chatting away with car dealers around in terrible trouble with their customers. Should have been a little warning, actually, now I think about that, <laughs> that side of it, working with the general public. But I wasn't work- I was working with them and used to soften the blow back to the company. And they used to ask me all the time, oh, will you pay for this? Will you pay for that or the other? And I had the power to just go, yeah, of course, we'll pay for that. We'll pay for that. We'll pay for that. So you were keeping people happy even then? Sitting in an office all day wasn't for me, Jeremy, I've got to be honest with you. A good friend of mine was a teacher. She was a primary school teacher. And she uh, she said to me, come, come and find out what it's like. Come and, come and join me in the classroom. Come and see what you think. So I thought, oh, go on, then. I'll go, I'll go and see what it's like. I spent a couple of days in there and I thought, this is just good. This is great, isn't it? The, just that infectious enthusiasm of working with children because they don't, they don't carry the baggage that we do as adults. They're just there. They're happy. They're excited. They want to learn. Um, and every child's got that hunger to learn. And I think if you can facilitate that, that was an incredible honour. And from that moment forward, I'm thinking, this is definitely for me. And straight away, I remember saying, look, can I have a go? At, can I have a go at doing a couple of lessons? Can I just give it a go? And of course, I went in there. I remember getting the National Curriculum document and reading it and thinking, all right, OK. And I, my interpretation of it at that time, and I started to prepare all these ideas for it. And it was obviously you don't think about how how you have to break it down. No. So I went in there and I absolutely children just sort of looking at me with their mouths open as if to say, uh, I don't know what is that. That's, that's fun. and then they just started playing with everything. They were quite happy, but I thought, okay, so quite a learning curve at that point. <clears throat> but no, I did go. I did go and off and then do my PGCE, and I'm going back to 1996 now when I qualified. 
and I did it at the University of Greenwich. And there's so many things actually that have really stuck with me from the University of Greenwich. And I think over the last year with all the Black Lives Matter issues coming up as well, I do remember because it was not long after the murder of Stephen Lawrence in Elton, which is where the University of Greenwich campus is. And I do remember it was a, really that realisation and that recognition of diversity and the importance of cultural heritage and all those things were really drilled into us when I was at University of Greenwich. And that was a really big part of what we were doing is when you're going into school and they spent a lot of time thinking about and understanding the children you're working with. Um, and I think, and, you know, I look back now and I think, well, actually, that is, you know, it's come back to the forefront of the agenda again, obviously, after all the incidents last year. But I think that yeah. that was such important memory for me from when I was doing my training. And it really resonated with me at the time. Yeah, it's got to be there all the time, hasn't it? When I was working with some trainees yesterday, one of them said to me, what, what do you think is at the heart of great behaviour management? And I said, well, it's relationships and understanding where the children have come from because a lot of these children have had quite difficult backgrounds. And if you can empathise with that, whilst at the same time saying this is the bottom line, this is the behaviour that has to be reached, but if you build a relationship with them, then actually behaviour management becomes so much easier. So well, I've got to say, there was some, actually, ironically, it was the mum of my friend who was a teacher who got me into teaching in the first place. Her mum had been a primary school teacher where I went to school. And, and I'm, whether I mention her name, Mrs. Hammersley, I do remember, bless her, she was... Did you love her? Did you love I, her? Absolutely. Do you know what? She was never my teacher, I have to be right. honest, but she was, you had so much respect for her and you just always thought of it. She was just the nicest person. Well, she gave me a piece of advice when I first started teaching and she said to me, if you find something to like in every child you work with, she said, I promise you, you will never have any behaviour management mm. issues. She said you will always resolve it with them. And do you know what? She is absolutely, I did take that on board. Yeah. And I, I won't lie to you, there have been occasions where it's been more difficult, more challenging to find something to like about them. But actually, it, by doing that, you always can build that relationship and you can always find that opportunity to be positive with them. And that resolves so many issues. And actually, interesting, I watched that program on BBC Two a couple of weeks ago about managing extreme behaviours and those really challenging behaviours in school. And the key thing that came through from that was about the relationships, exactly yeah. as you said. It's about the teacher making sure that they they showed that they actually valued the child and they, they cared about the child because there's a lot of unmet need in the children that will often be the ones that are causing us the most stress and worry but actually and it, the transformation when the teacher started responding to her and showing a genuine interest in this child was absolutely amazing I thought good old Mrs Hammersley she told me that more, nearly yeah. 30 years ago about the importance of that well it doesn't change does it it really no, doesn't I, I used to say to my staff when I was a head teacher you don't have the right to dislike any child you can dislike their behavior but you don't have the right to dislike the child. Those children have to come to this school. You've chosen to come here, and therefore your job, just what you've just said, just what Mrs Hammersley said, your job is to find something good about that child that you can build on, because then you've got a real chance of making a difference for that child. If you can just, like you say, connect with something good, then you've got a real chance of, uh, of doing great things with them. So you you clearly love what you do now. That just comes over so positively. I'm already feeling upbeat. I'm already feeling good. 
Have you always loved teaching? Then once you, you did your training, what was it that made you love teaching so much? Do you know, I, I've, I've had a bit of a bizarre career, to be honest with you, um, Jeremy, because I didn't stay in primary. I did. I, I moved through. I was a, a primary school teacher for four years. Um, and then I, I went off to this opportunity came up in a college, a sixth form college to teach computing. And I, I was ahead of IT, IT at primary school. So I think I think I had slight subject. I think I had, I had a slightly elevated view of my own subject knowledge. And I went through quite a steep curve of learning a lot more about computing before I started teaching it at A level. But yeah, this, this job opportunity came up and I thought I'll give it a go. And I remember talking to the head teacher and I said, I really would like to go and do this. I feel like I want to go and have a new challenge. Mm. I do like a new challenge every few years. And um, so I, I did, I went off and I went and worked in the sixth form college and I was there for oh, a term, I think it was. And then the head of department was leaving um, and they said, would you take over the head of department? And I absolutely lapped it up. It was in quite, I won't mention the name because it was in a disarray and it did need a lot of organising and sorting out. But I did absolutely love it there. And I must admit, I, I, I had, a, I felt guilty. I kept thinking I should really be go back to a primary school and, and I left I'll be honest and then I did go back to a primary school and for a little while I was a bit like mm, this isn't right I don't I didn't feel that was my niche for a bit I think I, I was enjoying working with young adults rather than yeah. children at that time and then I went to work at so I went to a secondary school I went through an all, all through secondary 11 to 19 secondary school and I was there for a couple of years um, and then eventually I did go back to a primary and I worked with um, a very inspiring head teacher. He was fantastic. I think I came back into primary. It felt a little bit controlled at the time. There was the numeracy hour and all those things going on. Yeah. And they were taking away a lot of the creativity of teaching. So that's why I went back to secondary. But by the time I came back and worked for a very, I wouldn't say maverick, but inspiring head teacher who's, who wasn't afraid to take a risk for the benefit of the school and the children and it was the school did get outstanding while we were there with Ofsted and that was recognition that actually he was willing to take some risks for the benefit of everybody and, and it was incredibly inspiring and I absolutely loved it there um, and then from then I went from there I went on to become a head teacher so I was a head teacher of two schools so a very small one to start with and then went on to a, a really big school and I do remember I remember the day I got the job at the large primary school. Um, I remember coming home and I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. And I remember I got home and I was living in a, a semi-detached house at the time. So obviously I, there was a wall and all day, I, all night, I should say, I had a friend over, we, we sat there, we celebrated. And I just kept playing loads of loud dancing music because I was so excited about it. I couldn't believe I achieved <laughs> it. And, uh, and then the next day, my, my next door neighbour did text me and say, thanks for keeping me up all night with music. So I thought, and I just went, I'm so sorry. I've just got a new job that I'm so pleased about that I just couldn't sleep. And I just kept listening to the music. And I think I'd lost track of the time and where it was. But, yeah, and I think, so I was there for five years. Um, did love that. Um, and then this an opportunity this opportunity came up to, to lead teacher training in Colchester. Um, and a, a very good friend of mine turned around and she said, oh, have you seen this jobs coverage? Because I reckon that would be right up your street. Um, so I went I went for it. And, you know, as I say. You've got good friends, haven't you, that keeps saying. I have, do you know I have? They're looking out for my Come and career. be a teacher. Just come and try. Oh, I've just seen a job for you. Yeah. You really ought to apply for this one. No, no, no. Actually, yes, you're right. And I owe a lot because I must admit at the time I wasn't actively looking for another job. It's just... She'd seen this and she said, I think you'd absolutely love doing that. And I thought, actually, you know, yeah, I really would. And because of where the school was, I'll be honest, recruitment of teachers was proving to be a real challenge. We found it very difficult to get people coming in because of the location. And so when I thought, well, actually, you know, you can't keep moaning about it. You've got to go and do something about it. So I thought, well, actually, if I go out there and get involved in teacher training, 
then that's an opportunity to start supporting us. Yeah, definitely. It's, the, it's one of the great things about skits, isn't it? That you train teachers in the schools, in the community where they're going to be employed. And that's so powerful, I think. I trained in a college. I was incompetent when I left. Um, I had very few skills as a teacher when I actually finished my training. But um, Well, I've got to be honest, Jeremy. I think, I mean, compared with the, the quality of what they get now, I have to say, when I qualified, I didn't know what the trainees who qualify now know. No, I think it's very different. I learned by trial and error to a certain extent. I don't I don't potentially think those poor children in my first year of tra- teaching got the best possible deal, but I think I No, but they probably got the teaching. best possible deal in terms of the teacher, the person, the one who cared and really wanted the best for them. Because I met someone the other day who was in my first class, and she said to me, we loved being in your class. <laughs> and I said, why is that then? She said, every day was just so exciting and interesting. I said, did you learn anything? She said, I don't know, but it was so good being in your class. And, and that was a fairly accurate representation, I think, of my skills as a teacher. Like you, I got on very well with people and very personable and loved teaching children and loved be- that environment of schools and uh and therefore, they got a good deal. I'm just not sure their frontal adverbials were very secure. Yeah, yes, but you know, I, you, you developed. I mean, they're they're all. I mean, everybody at first started teaching will be well into their thirties now, and I think they're. Um, I'm sure they're absolutely fine. I mean, I I know one, that and I'm sure they remember you. Well, they may or may not. I know I have met more with the children I've taught more recently. Um, I do meet them. But I tell you what, the thing that makes you feel old, Jeremy, though, is oh, and this was going back, this about 2012. I remember a uh, a young lady coming through the door where I was a head teacher, um, coming to look at a post. She was looking around the school to apply for a post. And then she said, and she smiled, she kept smiling. And she said, You were my teacher in year two. <laughs> wow. And I was like, Oh, please. <laughs> I said, like, You're making me feel really, really old now. So that's when you know, yeah, you're getting old and this, they're coming around to actually be a teacher themselves. Yeah. So tell us, let's go back to your first experiences then. You, when you first went into the classroom, did it all go as smoothly as you hoped? Oh, do you know, perfection, Jeremy, from day Very one. Very good. I thought it would. Yeah, absolutely. Never, never a problem. No, I think, I mean, I, if I go back to when I do remember when I very first started training, I think you, because we were so inspired in, our, in the, I mean, I have to say where, where I went, University of Greenwich at the time, I thought the lectures were amazing. They were incredibly inspiring and really, really enthusiastic. And there were two that stick in, in my mind. One who used to do all the English training with us and she used to do, so she was the one who taught me how to teach reading. I have to say it was the day in the days before phonics, but she really evoked that desire to teach a love of reading. And I think that really came through. She was fantastic. And also, she also led a lot around the diversity as well. It was all very integrated. And that was what she was talking about, because it was a lot about making sure you're looking for books where you've got the representation that children can relate to it and understanding the child and all that background. That was amazing. And also a maths uh, specialist as well. She was amazing. Who does remind me of somebody I work with now, but I won't mention her name. But I've often said to one of the, our training managers, I say, "You do remind me of the maths, uh, the, the person who trained me in maths when I was training to be a teacher." And I did have the privilege because our PGCs run through the University of Greenwich, and I went back. We held the PAB meeting, which is where we agree all the grades to the PGC in the room where I remember we did all our maths training. Oh, so brilliant! And that was about two, three years ago. We went back there, and I just thought, "Oh wow!" Anyway, I digress. Sorry. 
But um, yeah, I do remember going, leaving the lectures with just brimming with fantastic ideas, spending hours preparing all these resources, thinking this is just going to be absolutely amazing. The children are going to wow. light up as soon as they see it. Only just to then bombard them with this over over resortivities that well they proceeded to destroy <laughs> quite frankly and you just used to sit there watching it all sort of fall apart in front of your eyes and thinking mm, it's just not what I thought it was going to be and then by the end of it they would leave you with just this mess of these bits of scrappy work thinking <laughs> right well that was none of what I expected to turn out from that <laughs> I think very quickly I did learn less is potentially more. And yeah. you think actually it's no point adding. You've got to make sure they're really clear on what they're doing and that, that there is a purpose to it all and that it's not overcomplicated. They can yeah. only take so much on at a time, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. But but you can only learn that by doing it. And, oh, and God, it's when, really. can't you? Can't you? And um, trainees and people in their first year of teaching understandably get a little depressed or feel down it's not quite going as I'd hoped I hear that endlessly from teachers particularly in the first term of their careers and and I say to them it's because it's complicated and you've got 30 different children and over time you're going to learn how to get the very best out of each child but don't think you can write that down on a bit of paper before you go into the lesson and then it's all going to go wonderfully smoothly because it just doesn't work like that no i was gonna say i remember as an nqt my, my very first year of teaching i think that was, it's the stamina was the hardest thing i do remember thinking you, you you'd plan really well you'd have everything in place in the morning and then by the time the, the afternoon and it was the amount of resources and preparation you needed and just to be able to mm. keep that stamina all day every day to motivate and inspire the children it became hard sometimes and there were i'll be honest there were a lot of lessons i came away and just thought it just didn't it didn't yeah. resonate with them. I don't feel they learned what they needed to. The outcomes weren't there. And it was sometimes it was down to the fact that you just couldn't do things quickly enough or efficiently enough to be able to have that impact all day, every day. And that took time. And I, I think that must still be true. Is that there's one thing doing the odd lesson when you're training through to actually teaching them all day, every day, where we didn't have the privilege of, you know, an 80% timetable even in those days. It yeah. was 100 percent That, that shift is huge, isn't it, from being a trainee? They're on a massively steep curve as a trainee because there's so many new ideas they're having to take on board and they've got their assignments and they've got their reflections and all of this. And then you go into school and you think, right, I'm in my first year of teaching now. It's going to be a little bit easier because I haven't got all my assignments and all those other things. And then, like you say, does the exhaustion of teaching for five, six hours a day and you're trying to be upbeat in all those hours, oh, that's really draining, isn't it? That's exhausting. And then you've got your two, three, four, five hours of work after the children have gone home very often. Yeah. you know, When people used to say to me, because I used to be a computer programmer, and, and one bloke said to me once when I left, when I said I'm going to teach, he said, what, you can't hack it in the real world. And I said, Dave, you'd be eaten alive, man, in a classroom because you don't do anything all day. And in a classroom, you've got hundreds of decisions every day you're making. Plus, children go home like they used to think about banks. The bank shuts. No, you then do two hours work reconciling. Well, in teaching, it's four hours work, isn't it? Or five hours work because there's so much to do after the lesson finishes. Let's go to your most vivid memory. In your first year, what was the thing that oh, you, know, you can't I, forget? 
I have to go back to my little chap, Douglas, who I always fondly remember. It's, it, it's funny, isn't it? It's just one event that just stuck in my mind. Go on, tell us about Douglas. Oh, Douglas, you know, he's, and he's such a silly little thing, but he, I, I don't know why. Well, I do know why it stuck in my mind, because he was, he was just the loveliest little chap. He really was a smashing little chap. Very, it's hard to describe, unless you meet a child, it's hard to describe them. I mean, mm. Bless him, he's probably in his 30s now. Um, but he was a, a year one chap, and I do remember one day sitting there with them all on the carpet. Lovely class. I do remember really particularly lovely class. I was there taking the register first thing in the morning, and then Douglas appeared at the door with his mum, and he sent him in, and mum, mum walked off. So I said, oh, morning, Douglas. I said, are you okay? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, why are you late, Douglas? And he turned around and went, oh, mum couldn't find the F in keys. And he just said it in such a matter-of-fact way. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I was like, and you could see some of the children, obviously some of the slightly uh, more streetwise children were like, aghast of what he'd said and I was sitting there and I must admit I was like I couldn't I was just desperate with the, the old book register in front of my face. I thought oh bless his heart because he was oblivious he did not think he'd sworn no. but you could just imagine what was going on at home mum was running around going where are the effing keys where are the effing keys <laughs> of course he just heard the key. they're called the not the car keys or the house keys are the Kinky. <laughs> oh, bless his little heart. And I thought the power of modelled language, Jeremy. That's that's the thing. I thought, don't underestimate that, you know, the power how much children listen and pick up on our language. Absolutely. It's what we say all the time, isn't it? Develop their vocabulary. Not sure I want that word, Douglas. Not in the classroom at any rate, but uh, I'm glad you're listening so carefully to your mum. But we were, um, actually, it was interesting. We were saying the other day, I was talking to the trainees, I was saying about the, the how you misinterpret vocabulary as a child as well. And I still remember hearing, what was it, Barbar Black Sheep, the little boy who lived down the lane. And I had for years, I had this mental image of a lane being like a, a giant pothole. <laughs> and this poor boy was trapped down there with a bag of wool. And I just was always slightly devastated for the poor boy who lived down the lane. Why has no one got him out already? It's exactly. Why is he down that lane? And it's really funny, but I thought that's what, and you know, little Douglas and his, uh, his you know, he just thought, saw it as an adjective, didn't he? It was a noun phrase. Can I just ask you about key things that, that you think of or say to your trainees at the end of their training year as they prepare for their first class? What are the things that you think are really important for them to be doing, thinking when they go off then into their first classes? Well, I, I do. My first tip is always I share Mrs. Hammersley's wisdom of finding something to like about every child. I think that's really, really important. And I, I also think they need um, they, they need to find structures and strategies that will work for them that bring about a certain amount of efficiency to their te- tra- sorry to their planning and what they're doing because that's really difficult. I think initially it's the time management, as we said earlier, having the time to be able to get through everything. So I think if if they can find a structure that works for them to plan and prepare and they use that model for all of their teaching, I think it just makes things a lot more streamlined mm. and a lot easier. And I always say to me, you need to go into a lesson really with three key things in your head. <clears throat> and that's what you're going to recap, what the new learning is, and what they're going to either practice or apply. And I think they have to have to have that in their mind really clearly, because no matter which way the lesson sways or steers, if they're really clear on those three things, they're going to get the new, they're going to make sure those children are engaged and they're learning. So honestly, just have that key structure that you hang everything from. And no matter what you're doing, it just make, brings about a bit of efficiency because I think they find it so difficult to have to try and draw everything together and have the time to plan mm. and prepare. And also don't be afraid to 
to use things that are already out there. And also don't be afraid to think, actually, this is gonna this is gonna have to be good enough. And I and because the more experienced you become, the more you will just adapt things for the children in front of you based on what you can see them learning. And that just takes a little bit of time, but not to try and overcomplicate it. Yeah, I, I like your phrase, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because there's so much fear, there seems to me, in the teaching profession at the moment, which is is so bad for their health. But it's also bad for their their professionalism, their pedagogy, their ability to get children to learn successfully. Because we we just want teachers, don't we? And and I love your phrase, "be good enough," because it's so important. That isn't it? That I've I've done everything I can. I've planned my lesson carefully. I've got my structure in there, and now I'm teaching it as well as I can. And and today this is as well as I can do it. And that's good enough. And tomorrow I might say, oh, I want to change it a bit, and I could have done that bit better. And you you said as much, didn't you, at the start of this conversation when you said, oh, it doesn't go as we planned. And But that's the process of teaching, isn't it? Endless learning. Endless. Still now, you know, well, I'm yeah. 61 now and still learning how <laughs> to do things better. Well, you have to, I mean, always say you have to do it first. They've got to do it. You've got to have a go at doing it. And if you, if you, by the time you come to doing it, if you're so exhausted and not ready to, you're not going to improve anyway. So they've got to do it first of all, and then they're going to do it well, or sorry, they're going to do it better. And then they're going to do it well. Well, that just takes a bit of time. And that comes through with practice, doesn't it? And it's going to be with experience. It's just going to keep getting better all the time. So I think you've you've got to cut yourself a bit of slack to a certain extent. And no, also, you know, have. Sometimes think. Imagine. I think we get so worked up and the fear thing. Do you know one way? And probably sounds ridiculous to you, but one way I try to eradicate fear in my job is I imagine I've handed my notice in and I know I've only got. I'm not going to be doing this for long because all of a sudden you stop worrying about everything. Yeah. And you do a much better job. And I try to think to myself. I've handed my notice in, so I don't. Need, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do a really good job for these children in front of me. And that's all that matters. And it does take away the stress. And actually, you, you'll keep going along and you'll keep doing really well. No, you will. Because I know I've, I've heard you use this phrase before, that sort of negative spiral of, oh, of yeah. where you can, you, can, you can start criticising yourself or criticising children. And, and it's really important, isn't it, that you're endlessly looking at positive things? Yeah, I've... Um... I, I can remember when I was teaching, there will be there will be the days, there'll be the Friday afternoon just before Christmas when their children are overexcited, their behaviour is really challenging, you are tired, the days are short, you know, it's, it's the longest term. I mean, the autumn term is always the, the hardest term anyway because it's so long mm-hmm. and the weather's, you know, it's colder, it's darker, it's more difficult to get up in the morning, all those sorts of things compounding it. And you just find you start going into that negative little nagging, nipping at things with the children and you keep picking up all the negative things. And so I, I do, I remember that so often and then just thinking, just stop it. Mm. And you'd always have that conversation with you. So just go, just go and find something nice to say and go and find something positive to say about the children. And instantly you would find, you just start going straight back up again. You pull yourself out of that negative spiral and there's a real difference to the classroom instantly. And yeah, if definitely. you focus on the positive with the children as, all the time as much as possible, I've always said about a ratio of one to five. So every negative, you've got to say five positive things about a child or about the class. Um, and I think you will always notice if you've got that positive environment, the, the children go home feeling really happy. Mm. And they'll say to the parents how happy they are. And then your parents come into you and they say, oh, they absolutely love your class. And then if yeah. you have any issues with the parents, 
is so much easier because the general ethos of your class is really positive and then they've got their faith and trust in you then. Yeah, and that's really important. And I, I remember Bill Rogers who used to say, think of all the good things of, of your class as the white sheet of paper. Think of all the bad things as your class as the black dot in the middle. Yeah. And, and, and he said, focus on the white bits of paper. He said, because the white bit of paper is a hundred times bigger than the black dot. But he said, if you focus on the black dot, the black dot's just going to get bigger. If you focus on the negative stuff, you'll see more negative stuff. But if you focus on the positive stuff, and and it's interesting that you said you had that conversation with yourself, because I used to do that. And I think I've moaned all day today, and it's been terrible. The children have got worse. I've got grumpier. Tomorrow I'm coming in. I'm going to be at the door saying nice things to everyone right from the start and recognising Real things, not made up things, but real things they're doing well. And I'm going to make sure I publicly state them. And like you said, the difference, it's instant as well, isn't it? And it's when you say, Steve's doing this really well. Sarah's doing this really well. Anyone else doing it? And then 10 children say, yeah, I am. And, And suddenly you've got from, why is Arthur not doing what he's meant to do? (laughs) <laughs> you've got 20 children who are all happily telling you they're doing the right thing and doing the best they can and learning really well. And the whole mood in the classroom changes. Oh, absolutely. And I, I do actually, I remember when in my training year, I was at a school. Oh gosh, where was it? It was in East London. And I was, I, I, I must admit, I was finding the behavior of this class really difficult. And I have the mentor had the, it was very much, she was very strict, old school strict. Um, and I remember there was a supply teacher came in one day and she took the class while I was there as the student teacher. And um, she was just using all this positive peripheral pr- praise. And I hadn't really seen it before then. And I and I was just the change. And I and I started to use it and instantly because I was I was I was kind of I'd got wrapped up in the way the mentor was doing it. So I was being quite, you know, telling them off when they weren't doing yeah. what I wanted them to do, being very didactic with them the whole time. And it just wasn't working. And so, and then as soon as I saw her do this, I thought, oh my goodness, there's just a complete seismic shift in the behavior management of the class. And the whole and from then on, the you know, it just became so much easier and so yeah. much better. But it just shows it's just one little thing can make a massive difference. I think yeah. the butterfly effect, I think they call it, don't they? Definitely. When you pick the important thing and holding on to positivity, I used to go back to it endlessly because it's transformational, isn't it? And you don't need to shout at children. I mean, no. I remember as a head teacher, I just, you know, I was always very calm. You know, there have to be sanctions. There have to be boundaries. You are going to have to deal with very difficult behaviour sometimes, but you've just got to remain calm. You can't control a child you can support, you can motivate, inspire, manage, but you can't control, and nor should we. You can't control another no. human being. I remember shouting at a child as a head teacher. I'd gone to this school, and the school was based on shouting, really. And mm. uh, and I'd said, we've got to stop this shouting anyway. Three years into being the head there, I had a boy in my office, which was next to the staff room, and I shouted at him for about five seconds. And uh, the deputy came rushing in, and said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? She said, we heard you shout. We haven't heard you shout in three years. And I said, I know, today was the right time. For this child, you won't hear it again for three years, but it (laughs) it was just the right time for this child. And otherwise, exactly what you said, 
encouragement, explain why there's a sanction, whatever, be really calm, be really encouraging, be positive, recognize the child's a good child, it's not all bad, it's just this particular moment has been bad, let's move on. Absolutely. Although, I mean, I must admit, when I was teaching in secondary school, I used to have my, my computing lab was next door to the, to the science labs, and there was a particular science teacher in there. And I knew the day she was in the lab next to me used to be hugely entertaining to my class because she would, she would grab you, you could hear her shouting the whole way through the lesson. Really? And I remember thinking, you must be exhausted by the time yeah. you're home. And, and then every so often, she, there used to be like a little uh, corridor bit between the two classrooms, and she used to get them. So when she used to get one of them in there to, to tell them off, she'd get them out of the classroom to deal with their behaviour. And so she'd be absolutely shouting. And so, of course, we could hear every word really clearly in our class. And my class was just stone silence because they were all listening. So she was doing me huge favours because they wanted to know who was getting a good telling off next door <laughs> and what they were getting a telling off for. But I must have, I just thought you'd be exhausted all day. Another thing, when, uh, when I've gone out and seen NQTs, I've often said to them, because there are going to be the children who are more difficult or you are going to have to deal with behaviour issues and you're going to have to talk to their parents about it. But what you don't, that you've got to remember that the parent of the child who can be more difficult in your class is going to dread seeing you because they mm. know that if you go out there to them and say, oh, can I just have a word? The chances are it's not going to be good news. No. So I always say to them, what you've got to make sure you do is when you're, you know, in primary schools, obviously, is when you're talking and you're out there to, whoops, talking to parents then you've got to make sure that you go into every so often you go and tell them something positive, go and tell Absolutely. them something positive about that child. So that then when you've got to go and have a conversation with them, you you know, it's, it's going to be easier then to say, actually, yeah. you know, this is an exception rather than the rule. Otherwise yeah. they're only they're going to know the negative, aren't they? Yeah. And you've got that relationship with them then, haven't you? And, and they're Absolutely. much more readily accept your admonishments of, of what their child has done. And again, if if you say it's the behaviour we don't like, I, your child's great, but I don't like this bit of behaviour, then they don't take it personally, do they? No, absolutely. Thank right, Jeremy. Alastair, I've just heard your phone ring. You're a busy man. Thank you. That was every bit as good as I hoped it would be. And you've said so many valuable things for trainees and inexperienced teachers alike. And your positivity still shines through. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for that. And uh, I'm sure everyone's going to take a lot from listening oh. to you. <laughs> You've got to go. I've got to go. Sorry, Jeremy. No right, problem. So Great take to care. see you. Bye-bye. You thank you. Bye-bye. It was Aldous Huxley, the English writer and philosopher, who once said, there's only one corner of the universe you can be certain of improving, and that's your own self. And Alastair has given us so much to think about with regard to that, because when you're working with 30 individual children, it is impossible, yes, impossible, to get everything right all the time. And as long as we are learning how to do something better when things don't go as we hoped, then we will continually improve and we will definitely be doing a great job for the children we are working with. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We will keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat with an inspiring teacher. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.